Welcome to Women of the Wild, where education and opportunities are key, and friendships are made to last a lifetime. Got him? You think we got him? We got him. You said that yesterday. <laughs> Alright, Skylar, what do we got here? We got a oh. nice looking red ball. Yeah. Welcome to the Women of the Wild podcast. I am your host, Linda White, and I am here with Stephanie Lane from Woods and Water Project. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Hi, I'm great. I'm great. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Um, so I've met Stephanie actually through social media. We've had a lot of conversations back and forth about getting women involved in the outdoors, different things. And first of all, I'd really like to jump in and and have people hear a little bit about your background, where you came from, how you got started in the outdoors, all that fun stuff. Well, I'm born and raised in Eastern Iowa. Uh, I have been hunting and fishing and been outdoors my entire life. It's, it's my first memory, you know, at four years old, going duck hunting with my dad and my uncle. And it's just something that's been a part of me as long as I can remember, uh, especially the last you know, six, seven years of my life. It's real. it's really been, uh, just a part of my every single day. I absolutely love it. Y- yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't remember a time it wasn't a part of my life and I'm just very passionate about sharing it with others, women, kids, you know, yeah. a- anybody. And then, so you started as a young kid, you know, out in the outdoors, doing all the, the duck hunting and all the fun stuff. And then you decided one day you were going to start this, hey, I'm going to get women involved and go from there. Like, how did that all come about? <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. There's like a lot of ways I could take that and how that got started. <laughs> um, when I was little, I, you know, like they talk about how some people just like know what they want to do their whole life. and you know, through my career and jobs and things, I, I kind of always felt a little lost in that. So I couldn't relate. But when I like look back now, like I always knew what I wanted to do because when I was 10, 11 years old, our family used to every Sunday have a bunch of friends and family over for pizza and we'd watch either movies or hunting shows. And I still remember doing this. Like, this is so dorky, but I do vividly remember doing this. And, uh, we were watching these hunting shows and, you know, once in a while there would be a female on the hunting show and they would sometimes like show her hunting, but usually she was like the hostess of the show. Um, and they would really like only put her on TV for like a minute. 
and yeah. just really, it wasn't, it didn't showcase her like they showcase, showcase the guys. And I got up in front of the TV in front of my whole family. And I was like, someday I am going to change this. And there's going to be a lot more women on here and they're going to have a lot more time and they're not going to just be the host. And they're not going to just look a certain way. Like they're going to look like me and they're going to be watching me, you know? And I said that and my parents and my family were like, okay, get out of the way of the TV, yeah. you know, like whatever. That's cute, so, but you're blocking the show. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, uh, so into my mid twenties, um, I'm about to be 32. So for time reference there, uh, in my mid twenties, I was working a corporate job. I've been a technical recruiter most of my adult career. And I went to this women's entrepreneur camp. I don't know really why I went. I just knew I wanted to be around these types of women who just like went against the grain and did different things. And it was in Iowa near my hometown, which I thought was wild because when you go to your hometown, you kind of feel like sometimes everyone's like in this little bubble and you feel like an outsider when you have all these ideas generated in your head like myself. So I went to this camp. All of a sudden we were sitting around a fire and they're like, what are you doing here? And this like came pouring out of my mouth. Like, I don't even know about my vision of like women's events and like getting, getting them outdoors and teaching them skills and having a podcast and all these things. I had never said that out loud before. And then all of a sudden these women started coming up to me and they're like, Hey, um, if you do this, I want to hire you. If you do this, I want to go to your events. Like you need to do this. And, uh, and it just kind of kept unfolding from from there, uh, little by little. And now that camp, I've taught. They have like little breakout sessions where they get to learn different skills too, outside of just the entrepreneur business side. And so I actually teach those women archery now. So that's kind of that's pretty cool. Like years later, I've taught a lot of those women archery, which uh, means a lot to me. That's really where the teaching started, was with archery, and then turned into. <clears throat> bow hunting, turkey hunting, uh, small game hunting, bow fishing, different things like that. So, right. yeah. Right. So, so let's talk a little bit about what is the Woods and Waters project. Like, what exactly are you doing, um, and how does it all work? Yeah. Um, well, it's I'm just a one woman show right now. I hope that that changes in the future, but. I have a podcast and I interview different <clears throat> men and women from all over the country about hunting, fishing, road tripping, backpacking, anything outdoor related. And <clears throat> my thought is I want to bring all these different perspectives together. You know, growing up in a hunting family, there's like stereotypes that hunters fall under, you know, um, kind of like the redneck hillbilly, which I would say my family probably checks out in that category pretty well, but I also love to hike and I love bird watching and I love foraging and I love camping. And sometimes that, that, um, can fall under a stereotype too. And I feel like I'm both of those worlds. I just love the outdoors as a whole. And I always felt like outdoorsmen are such a small group of people, like really true, like regularly spend their time outdoors. It's such a small group of people and it's special and they have way more in common than they think. So my idea with the podcast was to bring like all those different types of flavors of people talking on here and find that commonality between everybody, which was not hard to do. Cause once you get an outdoorsman, whether it's trapping, whether it's fishing, whether it's, you know, through hiking, they, it all kind of comes down to the same thing, which I think is a beautiful thing. And then with my events um, and workshops, 
I, I, I partner with uh, a lot of my events are going to be in Iowa since I'm Iowa based and I partner with the Iowa department of natural resources. And, um, we've put together, like I mentioned, we put together turkey hunting workshops, bow hunting workshops, both bow fishing, uh, a lot of them are retreat style. So it'll be like a Friday through Sunday type of event. Um, but I've offered a whole, a lot of, a lot of different things and it's, we got a lot planned for the rest of the year. Yeah. That's awesome. It sounds kind of like, um, a little bit about, you know, how women of the wild works, except for we're all over the United States and you're kind of really centrally located in Iowa. And I think that's awesome because I personally feel like there are so many women out there who want to get involved and maybe not even just women, you know, men in general, you know, there's, there's so many of us out there who want to get involved and they don't know where to go. They don't know who to connect with. Um, and, and sometimes maybe taking a trip to another state with people that they don't know is a little intimidating, but if you've got somebody in your own backyard, who's kind of doing these things, it's a little bit easier to act. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, not saying that there's not other great people and organizations in Iowa, because there, there are, uh, that, that I know of there, there are a few really, really great ones. Um, but I would say, you know, I'm someone the more the merrier, like if there's more people like me in Iowa doing what I'm doing to spread the word and empower people, I think that's a great thing. Uh, I, I will say one of the hardest parts, but the most exciting parts is it does seem like there's very few people doing what I'm doing in Iowa. So, um, when I offer something, it does fill up pretty fast. So there's a lot of interest in it, which is really exciting. and, And that's great. Um, I just wish I could do more. Like I could wish I could do more of these events and opportunities for people. Um, and why I mentioned like just being one person, I'd love to have a couple people who helped me do this on a bigger scale, because I think there's such a need and a desire for people in the Midwest. Cause a lot of my events, we get people from, uh, we get women from Minnesota, Nebraska, and Missouri a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think there's a big need and, uh, women want to do this. They want to try it. They want to be around other like-minded women. They want to make friends. They want someone to just let them do, let them try it, but be there. If I, you know, I'm, I'm there if they need me. Right. A lot of it is empowering them to do it themselves as much as they can. Um, yeah. So you talked a little bit about, <clears throat> sorry, got a frog in my throat there. You talked a little bit about being a, um, archery instructor. Mm-hmm. So how did that kind of, I guess, transition from, you know, being an archery instructor to what you're doing did, which came first, the chicken or the egg? What, what all <laughs> happened? Uh, I've been shooting bows since I was 11 and used to do 3d archery competitions with my dad and my brother. And then my mom, my mom does it a lot now, which is cool. Cause she's not a hunter, but she loves to shoot. And Um, I had a lot of realizations probably around the age of 25, I would guess, uh, roughly of, especially when I was in a lot of high stress and going through, I was going through a divorce and a whole bunch of different things. And my mom's like, you should try meditating (laughs) or something. (laughs) And, uh, and just, uh, and I, I was like, no, you know, I was like really pushing that idea off. She's like, you need to like de-stress. 
And then I started shooting a lot. Like I, I already shot my bow a lot, but my like shooting archery has always been, I think probably meditation before I knew what meditation was as corny as that sounds. And I was part of a pheasants forever chapter at the time. This is all kind of happening simultaneously. And they're like, Hey, we want you to help us get more women involved with our chapter. We're going to do a shooting day. We're going to have shotguns, handguns, and we're going to do archery. We want you to teach the archery side. Like, cool. So then I taught uh, 10 women archery for the first time. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get like certified in this. So I went through USA archery and became an instructor. And then I became an instructor for instructors. So to teach instructors how to instruct. And then um, there's a program. It's in a lot of different states called Field to Fork. And I was asked by the Iowa DNR for one of our, um, in Iowa City, Iowa, they were doing the Field to Fork program and they needed an archery instructor for this 10 week program where they take 10 adults and in 10 weeks, they get them shooting accurately. They all have to be pulling over 40 pounds. And then we take them hunting at the end. I'm like, this is like, this is awesome. And so then uh, I jumped on board for that. It's one of the best things I've ever done. Built my confidence up so much, um, connected with some incredible people. And to see all 10 of these adults, pretty much none of them had really shot a bow besides maybe PE class for the most yeah. part. Uh, some of them couldn't even pull the bow back the first day. But every single one of them passed the shooting test at the end. They all were pulling back over 40 pounds. They all, you know, we got them ready for hunting. So within the archery instruction, we were also adding things like shot placement and how to care for your bow and tree stand safety and like all these little things throughout this 10 weeks so that we could get them ready for their first deer hunt. And then we had this camping trip and this deer hunt weekend, which was so special and just so amazing. Um, and then Field and Stream actually came and did some photos and interviewed us. And it was just like this, this huge thing for me where I'm like, you know, there was a team. It wasn't just me, but it really helped me find some confidence in myself that I was lacking of just, I was a part of the success for these 10 people and sharing this knowledge with them. And they're just so the whole thing was like magic is again, as corny as it sounds, it really was. It's one of the best things I've ever done. Um, And I've helped with that program a couple of times since then, but that really between pheasants forever being like, Hey, you're coaching archery and then field to fork. uh, And then it just kind of built out from there. Um, And I've, I realized I, as much as I love the outdoors and hunting and all those things, like I'm really driven by just helping people heal and feel good about themselves and feel like they can do something and building their confidence. Like that's really important to me. And just back to how archery like has kind of healed me and helped me. I just feel like the outdoors and hunting is my tool to help people do that. Um, and so it just all kind of happened at the same time. And then it's just grown from that to what it is now. So I, I just assume that people know what presence forever is. Um, but so let, let's talk a little bit about exactly what is Pheasants Forever and what is Field to Fork, just in case, you know, like people are listening and they're like, I don't know what either one of those are. I, you sure. Know. Yeah. Um, Pheasants Forever is a national organization. Um, it's a con- it's conservation based. So you don't have to be a hunter to be a part of it. But if other people are familiar with maybe like Ducks Unlimited or National Wild Turkey Federation Mm -hmm. or Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Trout Unlimited, um, 
all of those groups are kind of similar in their mission and what they do. So they are national organizations and then, you know, broken down into states. And then each state has probably, I mean, in Iowa, I think we have 102 or 103, 103 Pheasants Forever chapters. So one for every county plus some. Um, and these are usually volunteers that are going to raise money um, and give their time to their county, to their community in hopes to basically a few things, conservation. So making sure we have habitat for pheasants and quail and upland birds, um, you know, for Ducks Unlimited, it would be the same thing with ducks and WTF right. would be turkeys. Um, and then also recruiting new hunters, getting youth involved, getting women involved, um, and then just giving back to their communities. So there's a lot of different things that they're doing and they're focused on. Um, when I joined Pheasants Forever, I hadn't been really a part of many conservation groups or anything like outside of myself at that point. And I, I had the best experience with my chapter that I was a part of. Um, I've moved. So that's the only reason I'm not a part of them. I still am in contact with a lot of those people still and mm -hmm. still help how I can. Um, but I had a couple bird dogs at the time and I wanted to help be involved to help protect the sport as much as I can of pheasant hunting. So hopefully that helps. And then field to fork. Um, I don't know if it's, it, it's in a lot of states. I don't know all the states that have done this program before. Um, there's a lot of states in the United States that do, that do this. Um, but field to fork is usually ran by your state, like wildlife organization. So the department of natural resources, um, you know, DNR. fish and wildlife, however it's worded in your state. They usually will know if you contacted someone, they'd probably be familiar with the program. But they, the idea is just having this program that's taking adults and getting them ready for a hunt at the end. They also do this for turkey too. So in Kentucky, oh. they do turkey field to fork, um, which we're actually going to do a couple in Iowa um, this next year. So I'm very excited about being a part of that. Turkey hunting oh. is one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, the idea is just to take an adult and get the equipment in their hand and give them an instructor and a mentor leading up into the hunt so they can go to the hunt prepared. But then after the hope is that they can go do this by themselves. They don't need a mentor anymore. Right. Uh, yeah. So why was it so important for you to be a part of these groups? Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to like well, stump you there. <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, I think at the time, at the time, I didn't necessarily understand why or know why, you know, um, yeah. just, it just felt really good. Like intuitively felt like a hell yes, you know? Um, yeah. and just no doubt in my mind, I'm just going to figure out how to make this work. Um, uh, cause it feels like I just, it feels kind of like a calling to do that. Like I, I, I don't feel like I'm an expert in any of these things. I I'm constantly trying to always become a better woodsman. Um, I'm obsessed with learning. I'm a very curious person. I, I'm nowhere near where I want to be as a hunter, fisherman, woodsman as a whole. Um, but I am constantly pushing to get better and, and learn. And I, I take as many classes and learn from as many other people as much as I teach, you know, I, I'm yeah. not, I don't want to stay stagnant, but I'll tell you from, um, the first time I ever taught archery to somebody to see someone go from like really nervous, not even sure how to shoot a bow within a couple hours, just like 
pumped up and excited and happy and like all their life stress just melts. You can just see it. Like you see it melt away from people and being a part of that. And really, I mean, I'm just there as support and kind of guide them there. And to me, the rest of it's them. They showed up for themselves and they, they got themselves the rest of the way. But just to be a part of that is super just fulfilling. Um, and it's an addictive feeling to be a part of that. And then, um, like a couple, a couple years ago, uh, so a couple, a couple years ago, this really was like a light bulb moment for me too. I, for my 30th birthday, I paid for myself to go to hunting guide school in South Dakota. (laughs) And, uh, so guide school was really, I, I really couldn't tell you exactly why I felt like I had to do that. You don't have to go to a school to be a guide. You just have to have experience and be good with people. I mean, really, and which I had that, but I wanted that under my belt because I feel like as a still young female, a lot of times I've really had to prove myself. Like I've had to be like extra good at something, um, to be taken seriously at times, which is a bummer. I don't, but I don't, I don't care about that as much as I used to. I feel like my younger self always wanted to like prove to people who I was and what I can do. And now I'm just like, well, um, it's whatever, you know, it's not why that's not what I do it for anymore. But when I went to guide school, um, one of those moments of like why I do this where I was like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is it is, um, one of the outfitters had a daughter that was there and she hung around the whole time while we were at guide school. And she was kind of one of our like clients. So the whole week, every, the, every day is broken down into sections. So you got waterfowl hunting, deer hunting, pheasant hunting, specifically snow goose, dog training. And we break it out into these days, the whole day, you're basically role-playing that you're a, a guide for that specifically. So for duck hunting, you load up the boat, you take the boat out, you take your client out, you put the decoys out, you know, it's every day was like that. And then we had, um, she was one of our characters, you know, how taking okay. like a young kid out hunting. So she was like acting the whole time. And she was just a really sweet, really cool, really cool girl. She's like 12. Yeah. Um, and as I was there, she would kind of make these little comments about like, she'd say, she tried to like come up with something to say to me, you know, she's like, oh, you have really pretty hair or like, oh, I really, you know, she just say something like that. And then like, we're like day four in and she sits with me on the couch and she goes, okay, I want to say to you what I really am trying to say to you. I was like, okay. <laughs> and she goes, do you know how cool I think it is that you're here? Like, we've never had a girl come to guide school before. And she's, like, and she's like, do you know how awesome it is to see a woman doing the things that I love to do? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I kept it together there <laughs> but I bawled about it on the way home and uh I felt like that that was it because I think about when I was her age in front of the tv with my parents being like this is what I'm gonna do I'm gonna change what this looks like and I didn't have I had a lot of good female role models but I didn't have a female role model that loves the things that I love like that just wasn't existent um so to impact this 12 year old who I just think is so cool. And she thinks that like what I'm doing is inspiring at 12 years old. Like I'm like, that's like, that's it. You know, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. 
So I'm going to give you a, another little uh, insightful bit of information while you were talking there. You yeah. had you had said, you know, that that it used to be really, really important for you to prove yourself to other people. And now it's not anymore. So in all of my years of wisdom, we're, we'll put it that way, of, you know, being one of the only women in trapping and being in the front of everything. What happened there? What changed for you is this. You proved to yourself that you were worth it. So it didn't matter proving anybody else. Anymore. And yeah. and I I learned that lesson too. And I used to be in the same boat where, you know, they'd ask me to do these demos and everything. And I'm like, oh, I got to show these guys up. I got to this, you got to that. And then after a while, you realize like these guys that come here and tell you, you know, like, oh, you really know what you're talking about. Or they want to hear you talk. After a while, you're like, you know what? I know what I'm talking about. And then it's, it's not important to prove yourself anymore. So it's awesome to hear you say that because we've been friends for, gosh, what, about four or five years now? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's it's so cool to see how you have grown. Like, thank you. Through social media, our different conversations, the different things that you're doing. And it's awesome to see even that confidence in you. So I'm just going to like plug that in there because it's, it's amazing. It really is like, I think our first conversation, um, you just had your podcast out. You were just starting the podcast. Um, I think you had actually just either went to guide school or came back from guide school. It wasn't something like that. So like to see you now, how you're like, oh yeah, I'm doing this and I'm kicking butt and I'm amazing. It's so awesome to see that. It's just, it's really great. So I'm just pointing Thanks. that out there. Anyways, not that everybody else that. needed to know that. <laughs> no, I think that's good for other people to hear because I haven't been told that. So that, that, that is really nice to hear. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's great. You. And, and you have a glow about yourself um, that I've seen become brighter over the years as well. Like, thank you. Um, yeah, it's great. And, and to kind of use that as a segue, I guess. Um, and now a short word from our sponsors. Do you enjoy the great outdoors and hope to share that excitement with your kids? Now you can through Dr. Josh Farr's great collection of books. Share your love of nature while also teaching valuable life lessons on friendship and learning the alphabet with books like the ABCs of Hunting. Plus, the ABCs of Hunting workbook is the perfect learning tool to captivate young readers and create a foundation for your future hunter. Find out more about these and other books from Dr. Josh Farr at drjoshfarr.com. That's D-R-J-O-S-A. H-F-A-R-R.com. Hey everyone, Andy Lehman here from ACC Crappie Sticks. Just want to let you know about our crappie baits and jig heads. We have a wide selection of the hottest colors and big eye crappie jig heads in the most popular colors and sizes. Check them all out at acccrappiesticks.com. Thank you. Girls with Guns Clothing is a proud sponsor of Women of the Wilds podcast. If you're looking for hunting gear, be sure to check out our new fall collection, including the launch of our new Artemis Generation 2 lineup. With Girls With Guns, you know that our gear has been designed and field tested by women who actually hunt and wear this gear. We have an amazing team of women who contribute and share their ideas and extensive field testing so that our gear works for you in multiple hunting environments. 
We build our gear for women of all shapes and sizes, made by women for women. If you want to try out GWG, you can go to gwgclothing.com and use WILD15 for a discount off of your first order. Well, you see, trappers are a special breed of people. We're dedicated, committed, and passionate about what we do and who we are. Each and every one of us has an intense desire to be the very best we can. So in a world of skinny jeans, man buns, and pumpkin spice lattes, sometimes you just have to stop, push back, and tell the world, that's not me. Whether you're from the far north, or in the deep south, and anywhere in between, Southern Snares can help you succeed at getting the job done and being who you are. We would also like you to check out Sawmill Creek Bait and Lures, RMC Custom Calls, Atlantic Coral Enterprise, Blast and Cast Guide Service, Epler Fur, Feather Moon Calls, Shangalaya Safaris, Shelly Emmer with Dirty Girl Guide Service, and Hunting Day Podcast. I want to talk a little bit about this last little adventure that you had with your last group that you actually brought me in on a part of it. And that was kind of neat. But the I, I want to talk a little bit about how that all went. It was six women, right? But yeah, five women. Five women. Five women and it spanned over a couple months, didn't it? Yeah, we're still going. So oh. Okay, have, so yeah. so why don't you tell people a little bit about what I'm talking about? Because I don't have all the details, but it was sure. really cool from what I knew. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so I, whew, okay, so I started what I call a women's outdoor mastermind. So I kind of, especially, I felt like I was really getting some momentum with everything with Woods and Waters Project. And then like COVID happened and a lot of things like that happened that it just kind of put me in this stuck place, which um, happened to pretty much everyone in some capacity, I think. Right. Yeah. And I would have, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And I, I would have women reach out all the time about like, would you do this virtually? Like, have you thought about doing this virtually? And initially I was like, no, because some of these things I really want you to like touch and like do. And, you know, I just couldn't like envision some of these things being virtual at first. And I'm like, but I, it just seemed like something that came up all the time. And so I wanted to create a program because I've been through one of these before myself, but for women creatives. Um, And basically it's a mix of in-person and virtual. And so I created a six month program where we meet uh, every other week for two hours virtually and every time we meet, we have a different subject in the hunting outdoor realm, kind of based on whatever the curriculum I set is. Um, And you were a guest and you took over the trapping. That was great. And especially because these women, we did a survey and, you know, you and I talked about this, but they were kind of hesitant about trapping, but they loved it. It was, it got such great feedback and I think they learned a lot. Uh, So that, that was awesome. Um, but every, every other week we discuss a different subject and hopefully we go in more detail and I, you know, hoping that they're as conversational as possible. And then we did in person, we did an ice fishing trip. We went pheasant hunting. 
and uh, we'll do something to wrap up the end of the year. This first session will end in August. So we're over halfway through, it started in January. And it, I can't say enough things about these women. They're like, for me doing this for the first time, they're like the five most like amazing people I could have had. Um, but then also on top of that, so they've also been getting some kind of like freebies as we go. So thanks to the Iowa Department of Natural Resources and they're helping assist me in some of this as well. They got turkey calls and duck calls and goose calls and um, like things that they actually need to do these things, right? So like they got a knife sharpener and they got some ice fishing gear and they were sent these things as the subjects arised too. Um, so then whatever we're focused on, they can go use outside as well. So it's a mix of in-person virtual teaching, um, and then actually getting like tools that they can now use, uh, to do, to do these things. Um, and it's my pilot and it's been going really well and I'm already working on my next one, what, which will be like the last half of the year. Um, I'll be opening it up to a little bit more than five people this time, but trying to keep it a little on the small side, because I think it's really important that these women feel like they can bond together and can be themselves right. and build friendships. And I feel like if it gets too big, it gets a little trickier to do that. Um, so we'll keep it to 10 or under as we go forward. Um, but it's been it really would, cool. I think it would be hard to do some of the in-person events if you had too many yeah. as well. Like yeah. you'd kind of lose what you're doing and everything. But yeah. so... I get that. I get the whole COVID thing, you know, with the, the virtual and everything like that. But what like inspired that? Yeah, I'm actually going to take off with this because I mean, I'll tell you during during COVID with all the virtual everything, the last thing I would have wanted to do was anything more virtual. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I this is going to sound goofy probably, but I am someone that all day, not all day, but every day I have crazy hairbrain ideas and I write them down a lot or, um, I'm always, I'm always dreaming. I'm a dreamer taking a lot of tests and psychoanalysis to prove it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a dreamer. I love coming up with ideas. I love initiating the ideas. Um, I've learned, you know, sometimes if I come up with a great idea and I just don't have the capacity to do it, I'll try to like pass it on to someone else. Like, Hey, you would be great at this. Um, I'm just very motivated by that and coming up with these things. Um, you know, over the years working on my confidence and what really just keeps coming to me and just listening to myself of like, no, you need to do this. Like, try this, just, just do this. That was one of those things that I just like said it out loud one time. And I was like, that could work. Like I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to, that's going to work. And then I just did it. And usually like with my events and all these other things that I've done in Iowa, um, I've mentioned the Iowa DNR a lot, but um, they really want to create these opportunities for their state to learn to hunt and do all these different things. I didn't actually even mention it to them right away. Um, I just, I'm like, I'm going to do this on my own. And I was a couple months into it. And 
I told one of my contacts of the DNR, I'm like, hey, I did this. Do you guys want to be involved at all? Do you want to jump on one of the calls? Do you, you know, um, anything we can give the girls? And they're like, wait a minute, what are you doing? <laughs> and they're like, no, we love this. Um, yes, we want to be involved. And they're actually doing a case study on our group. Um, so that's really special. And yeah. they're going to help me put together the next one. Uh, so people have really liked it and they like the idea of what it's offering. And, um, but to get back to, you know, your original question, I just, I am someone who's very like an idea generator all the time. What I need sometimes is someone just to like, take my 10 ideas, kind of pick them apart and be like, okay, stick with these two, you know, pick one. Um, but I just, uh, my brain's always going like that. And, uh, I need someone to reel me in sometimes, but that's just one of those things that I'm like, nope, that's a good one. I'm going to do that. So I like, uh, you know, it's funny. Cause that's the thing that, um, I think connects you and I so much together because yes. <laughs> I, I truly love, absolutely love talking to you about every time we talk, it's like, oh, well, what about this? Or what about that? Or yeah. do you think about this? <laughs> like, I love that. I love that. And because I'm very much the same way, which is why I have like 4,200 different things going all at one time. Yes. Um, <laughs> and sometimes it's exhausting. Like there are yeah. days where I have sat down and I'm like, why am I not just that person who sits on the couch? And then something will pop into my head and I'll be like, oh, that's why. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. We need to do this. And yes. I need to do that. And yeah, exactly. So that's awesome. But <laughs> But still, like, I don't know the the only thing that appeals to me, honestly, about Zoom is the fact that I get to do it in my PJs. Other yeah. than that, like, I I would think that for me, a struggle of not having the hands on part as an instructor would be really difficult. And yeah, have you found that as as being an issue? How have you overcome that? How has that worked? Yeah. Um. It, it, it is, it's not, it's not like awful. Like I don't not, um, I enjoy yeah. every class every, every time. Um, it's not necessarily the same, but some things that I think help with that. So, um, in all of our sessions together are recorded so they can go back and I created a library of like, um, all of our sessions together all of the resources we talk about. So they have access to this for forever. So they're also, um, I guess, per, you know, purchasing that as well. So it's not just about the class because, you know, sometimes they can't make the class. And I have had two classes where only one girl could make it. And so I'm just like talking at one person for two hours, you know, and that is hard for me. Yeah. Um, I go through whatever I'm teaching. Some things I want them to be more conversational versus me just reading off of, you know, different things. Um, right. For example, like something we, you know, went over as a subject was, you know, I showed them how to use different mapping tools. So um, like Onyx or HuntStand or their Google Maps to help them with like some orienteering skills and just marking your spots and scouting. And that's one of those subjects that, I recorded it. Not everyone made it, but is one of those that's 
it's just so much more beneficial if they're asking questions and they're engaged. And if you only have one or two people, um, it's harder to do that, which yeah. I kept it to five. That's all I wanted in the beginning um, on purpose because I wanted to have that closeness, that community, that group. My next one will probably open it up to max of 10. And my thought process with that is there are going to be people who just can't make certain things sometimes. So that way, at least if half of them come, we've got five people, right? We have conversation generating. We have yeah. questions that the other women are probably thinking. Um, so that's that's where I'm going to open it up to more people because I just think more comes from it if everyone's engaged and talking and asking questions. Um, so yeah, that part's difficult for me because if, if someone's asking me questions and engaging, I could talk forever. But yeah. if it's if it's just staring blankly at me or I'm just talking at someone about a subject, um, I just want them to get as much out of it as they can. And I feel like they have to be engaged. Uh, so that, that, that part's tricky. Um, and the hands-on part, it, it is tricky. Um, we've tried to I, I, that's something I'm like brainstorming on a lot with this next group too. I'm good. There's a lot I'm going to change, um, for this next group that I think will kind of help with that. There's some things that I'm going to do with this group. Like, uh, they're going to do like an identification, like I'm making them quizzes and tests and they have homework that they have to do at the end of some of these things too. Um, so that helps with that. And then we report back and talk about that. So hopefully they do those things, you know, right. Um, there are some interactive things that they can do. And then hopefully the in-person, some of those in-person events we've done are going to take what they learn virtually and then use them. Um, so yeah. that gives you more of the hands-on instruction at that point that maybe they would be missing through something that's virtual. Yeah. Yes. And through, um, they also have an, uh, so with, me coaching archery too and a lot of them want to get into bow hunting if they're not already um a lot of them don't live that far away from me so we're gonna work it out where we can do some like hands-on in-person archery instruction but I wanted to offer something that yeah yeah there might be events there might be in-person stuff um but women from all over the midwest can join this right yeah. like they can do this even if they're not 20 minutes away from me um and with like the archery instruction, I have offered to do it virtually as well. So like if, cause a lot of them have kind of started, so I can walk them through, like they'll take me with them to shoot and then they'll put me on their phone and we'll FaceTime and we'll talk about it as we go, or I'll have them record themselves so I can give them some like coaching as well. Um, but I'm just here for their support. Like I'm their mentor through all of this for six months. That's what they have me for. Um, I try to send them like little videos and notes throughout the week, even if we're not talking about different tips and different things I'm doing. Like when I went scouting for turkeys, I like videotaped myself and was telling them, you know, in a group, like, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. Um, I just give them as much of my attention as possible for that six months. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think it's good. And it helps these girls, one of them, two of them, two of them are like pretty new. So you also have to get a feel for like how, green they are yeah. three of them have shot a little hunted a little um so having that base makes a huge difference uh the two that are newer it's a little trickier right yeah. right so 
I mean, I've I've instructed a lot of, of things when it comes to trapping and, and done workshops that way. And there's always something that I, when I'm teaching, there's always something that I pull back from that I learn about myself. Like, I'm like, oh, well, I learned that today. Or, oh, I need to be doing this different. Or I need to, like, have you had even... Obviously, you're instructing these women, but have you had those epiphanies about yourself and and things that, you know, have helped you grow as a woodsman by doing? Yes. Um. <laughs> you can see your face right now. Now, I know that we only do audio, but yeah. your face right now is amazing. Absolutely amazing. So... Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like I should like, I should have been journaling more of this stuff as well. So I can reflect back on it later. Um, so first of all, with teaching, I feel like anyone who does this, if you're teaching, especially like these subjects of like hunting, fishing, et cetera, I come ready to talk to them about 50 things, right? I'm ready. Like let's, what, what direction could they possibly go with this? And we're going to talk about it. And I'll be ready to talk to them about it. Um, usually they, every example I can think of from just shooting a bow to in-depths about scouting or turkey hunting or anything, um, anyone taking those classes, they, they want about like 10 to 20% of what I actually am ready to talk about. Like they, all these other things um, are great. Um, but I think just being able to, identify that and meet people where they're at and not overload them and then just give that to them separately like okay we didn't cover all this stuff but when you're ready for it here it is which I think is nice of having that library for these ladies to look back later um that way we if we're only covering 10 percent of a certain subject but that's where they're at and that's what they want to know to help build their confidence then I need to like reel it back and just give them that 10 percent you know um I don't need to overload them and, and just be confident in that because at first, at first I would feel like I did people a disservice. Like they would leave a event of mine and we only went over a little bit of what I thought we were going to talk about. And then I'm like in my head, like, oh my gosh, did they get their money's worth? Was, was it worth their time? They didn't even go over this, like, oh my gosh. And it's not, it's not about me. It's about them and what they needed and what they wanted to learn. And then just, just. Get, I, getting out of my head about that stuff um, right. has been a little bit of a process because I just always want to, I want to just like overfill their cup, you know? Um, but I think I already am most of the time. Yeah. So just being good with that. And then uh, that that's a, that's a big one and just not overwhelming people because if you shove too much information at them, they're going to forget some of the really good things that they wanted to learn, right? They came there to learn. You don't want to push that aside. Um, I think that's important for instructors to hear, right? What you just said, you know, not giving too much information because I think as, as people who like, you know, meeting them where they're at, sometimes when you overload, you almost turn them off. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's too hard now. That's too much. That's too And I love that you said that, you know, like making sure that you're not overloading. Like I know for me, 
when I first started doing demos and instructions and stuff like that, like the best advice I ever got was actually like a gentleman came back and talked to my husband and he had said, you know, your wife's demo was the best demo I had ever seen. So my, my husband, who at first, when I was asked to do demos was kind of like leery about this, of course, having that feedback, he's like, oh, really? Why is that? And the guy told him, he goes, because she didn't teach me how to catch a hundred fox. She taught me how to catch one. And he goes, and I've never caught one. So for me, that's what I needed was to learn how to catch one. Yeah. And so I think like for you saying that, you know, not, not overloading, like learning that as an instructor, like where to meet people and that it's okay that you didn't go through all the 500 different ways to do this, but you went through maybe five ways. Yeah. That's what was important. And I, I love that you're learning. I think that's awesome. Yeah. 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 Thank you. It's, it's, um, and I'm sure you understand what I'm about to say too, where that gets tricky is when, and and, and not usually, usually all works itself out just fine. Mm -hmm. Right. Is when you have multiple people you're teaching, not everyone's coming in with the same level of understanding. So how do you satisfy as many of them as you can? You, you, you know, usually you can make everyone pretty happy, um, but every once in a while, just being okay with the fact that um, maybe I didn't touch on this, but I, I feel, I feel like, and I, I would hope if someone's listening and they had a different experience with me that they would give me this feedback, hopefully <laughs> um, that I'm keep myself pretty open that, you know, if we're at, if we're going over one, two, and three, steps but someone over here wants four five six seven that individually I support them and help them get there you know that they know that they can come to me ask me those things and I'm going to provide that too but I think having different levels of people is tricky sometimes for that but I agree I agree um keeping it relatively basic yeah yeah have you found um with having these groups of women you know at, at different stages that um, maybe maybe they're reaching out at certain times and you're like, oh man, I should have covered that. You know, if they ask those questions or whatnot, like, are you ever feeling like, oh, maybe we didn't cover enough of this? Or are you seeing like, oh, I'm actually glad that they're willing to reach out later on and get those tidbits? I I can't think I, in the, in the moment I'm overthinking and questioning myself of like, am I doing enough for them? But when I get sit back from it and I hear from them and get the feedback and then just think about it, I really haven't felt like I didn't give enough. Like, I, I feel, I feel like if anything, I sometimes, pro- I give probably too much, you know, <laughs> more, more that than the yeah. opposite. Um, and actually one of the most beautiful things that comes from some of these like events and stuff that I just I haven't really even thought about it this way until you just said this. Uh, I can think of a couple events where I had an archery retreat and I had a bow fishing retreat where I had a, um, a lady in each situation 
that was probably just more experienced than everybody else in either archery, the archery retreat, we went over archery, bow hunting, bow fishing for the weekend. And then the bow fishing retreat, we just like bow fished all weekend and camped and all this stuff, um, different, different women. Um, but there was a woman in each of those that was more experienced. And one of the coolest things that was really good for me and for them is I could see that. And women like to help each other. We like to help each other, support each other. Really? Like, I mean, women just want to like give a helping hand when they can. And I just like both of them happen to want to work on their leadership skills. Both of them want to help instruct and teach other women. So I kind of just let them like in the areas that they were confident, they would start to assist me or um, like one of them started, saw that I was um, helping someone and she really just like kind of watched me and then helped instruct other women. And I felt good about her doing that because she really like was very capable of doing that. Um, and then the bow fishing one, there was a woman uh, who said she wanted to work on her teaching and leadership skills. And we got some carp and she was going to show, um, she's like, can I show her how to clean this instead of me? And I was like, yeah, do it. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't necessarily want to, so right. you and you, you're going to be great at this. And she did an awesome job. And, um, and it, and it like provided for them to step up and, um, to teach and do that. And actually one of them like is an instructor now in her state. Um, so that's like super cool. Um, yeah. So letting those, you have to kind of feel it out, but letting them kind of step up and maybe like help teach in some areas that they're confident, um, is really fulfilling for them too. So I, if you can, if you can get a read on that and pay attention to that and letting them kind of step in, I think that that makes a huge difference um, as well. Right. Right. So if anybody wanted to sign up next year, now I know that it, they're not open to do that yet, but what are they going to expect? What are some of the topics that you're going to cover? What are some of the things that you're going to go through? Um, you know, just to pique their interest until maybe the signups are open. Yeah. Uh, so we are going to, for sure, it'll, well, it might be opening kind of soon. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I think by like end of summer, early fall, probably, um, is we're, when we're going to press go on this, but we will go over for sure. We'll go over deer turkey hunting. We'll go over, um, some ice fishing and safety. We'll go over, um, well, we're going to, th there's going to be a little bit more in person this time offered. Um, if they okay. can, be part of it uh waterfowl kind of like all those main like hunting subjects but then we'll break it down more so scouting is a really important part of this program because i can't stress enough that if you can be a pretty good scouter uh you especially if you're a busy person you're going to be more successful quicker right like we have so much limited time but we love hunting and we want to do these right. things if you can go where the animals are <laughs> right and know right. your plan um, you can make more of your time. So that, that's a big piece of this. Um, we will go ice fishing. We will go pheasant hunting. We will possibly go turkey hunting and we will go, um, possibly fly fishing as well. And 
we will have a day where they're going to do some hands-on stuff with kind of all the things we talked about at the end. So they're going to see how to do uh, decoy spreads, putting decoys out, um, getting their hands on traps, understanding like what that looks like. And they're going to actually, at the end of it, if they can come to, you know, the, the kind of wrapping it up, get their hands yeah. on all these things that they learned leading up to it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So do you even break it down? Like, you know, say maybe you're, you're deer hunting and you've never hung like a tree stand before, like things like that. I mean, are you, are you going that basic and that in depth in things? Yes. That's so, awesome. um, I try to, um, that's one of those things that we, we go over and I can give them the resources and we talk about, but like tree stands, like that's one of those ones that like, I really want them to do it in person, <laughs> yeah. you know, I yeah, really you really need to, to know what you're doing do there. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, want to just send, send someone out virtually, um, to do that. But I would say really, it comes down to like the strategy of everything is what we end up talking about the most and just making it as successful as possible and slowing down and what skills are going to help you be successful in these areas, you know, whatever type of hunting it right. is. Um, there are just some, it depends on your own situation, but there are just certain types of hunting and outdoor activities that are just, they're easier to do by yourself. They're, they're not, there's not as many barriers to entry, you know, like duck hunting depends on how you look at it, where you live, whatever, for example, that one can be pretty intimidating. You've got, uh, if you want to duck hunt, not just standing in the water. And if you don't want to just wade in the water, um, you need a boat or blinds. Um, you need to know how to do those things, right? Like put the right. blinds out, run the boat, um, all the things that come with that, backing up a, backing up a trailer, running a motor, um, reading the water. Like you need to know how to do those things with duck hunting. For example, there's a lot of different types of ducks and geese out there, bird identification, like um, then you need the gear and like what that gear is and there's the shooting part. So for example, things like duck hunting, um, can be kind of a bigger undertaking for people. So, um, that's actually, that's coming up for this group right now. We'll get into that. Um, but it's not necessarily going to be this big, big focus because a lot of these women were really putting a big focus on deer hunting, turkey hunting, small game. Um, and other things that are going to get them feeling confident and then get into waterfowl. Again, if someone's really, really focused on wanting to get in a waterfowl or trapping or whatever it is, um, I'll deep dive with them through that. But some of these things are a little harder for someone by themselves to get into. And a lot of these women are doing this by themselves. So they don't necessarily have, um, they have a support system, but not someone who's going to go out and hunt with them. So, um, Reading that is important as well. Cause I could talk about waterfowl for a long time, but is it realistic that they're going to go get into this after the program? Probably not right away. Um, I, I think what you just said there about, you know, they, they're doing this on their own is, is really interesting because when I first started trapping, um, and, and obviously like the many women that I have now met through the trapping community and everything like that, you know, I've, I've seen all walks of life, but at the beginning, a lot of the women who originally were in trapping were doing it because 
their husband was doing it or their their boyfriend was doing it or they were introduced to it from someone. It wasn't just like a, hey, I think this looks really kind of cool. And I've now, obviously, you know, with all the w- different women that I've met, I've met those women who who have done that. And I think I have seen, and I don't know about you, like I've seen a shift in that where it there's no longer this, well, if my boyfriend does it or I got into it because of my husband, now it's like, I'm teaching my husband how to do this because yesterday I decided I was going to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I see that huge shift. Yeah, I agree. And even the, so even just the ladies I'm thinking of for this uh, mastermind group, but just all the other events, a lot of them have significant others that like the outdoors, but some of them are just doing it for themselves. It's not about it. it, It's, um, man, if there's like a podcast about, uh, like relationship advice and someone wanted to have the subject and like men teaching women. Cause right. Like even (laughs) if you, if you, even like the best man who's really like loves this woman, right. It's like their daughter or their wife or whatever. I feel like when you're too close to someone, especially with like a male female dynamic, sometimes you just butt heads, like you can't help it on both sides, you know? Um, And so there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, in any of the classes or anything I've ever taught, um, it's like, hey, I love my person or, you know, this person's great, but I need to remove myself so we don't fight the entire time, Um, which is just so interesting to me because even someone like myself, who's been hunting my whole life, my dad and I butt heads all the time. My brother and I butt heads all the time. My um, exes and I, who were into hunting and fishing all the time, even if we were on the same page, even if we're like, I don't know, it just, it's something about that dynamic for a lot of people that is really tricky. Um, right. Right. And- it's so funny that you say that. Cause like we were talking before the podcast about, you know, just relationships and my marriage and everything. And I, I truly, truly like feel like I have an amazing marriage, but if there is ever going to be a time that Michael and I will ever fight, it is on the trap line. Like, I mean, to the point where my husband has said to me, I'm never trapping with you again. (laughs) (laughs) That is going to happen at least three or four times this season where he is going to tell me he is never trapping with me again, ever, ever. Yeah. Like, so it's so funny that you bring that up. Like, I, did this podcast one of my favorite podcast <laughs> interviews I ever did was this it was uh with a fly fishing guide and she told this story about this couple she'd known forever and they were having their I think it was their 50th wedding anniversary and every year for their anniversary they go on this trip and where they go the trip is based on if there's good fly fishing for the husband and then the wife has a nice beautiful place she can just sit and read okay he had attempted to teach his wife how to fly fish a couple of times, but just never, it just never, like right. they couldn't click. It just didn't work out. And she tells a story about how the woman comes to her and how she says, he can't teach me. We can't get along, but I don't want to go another year of these trips of where he gets the fish. And I just sit there and read the whole time. Right. So she spent this time with this fly fishing guide her husband had no idea they they set it up where 
they mailed all her fly fishing gear to this resort. So they didn't pack it. The husband didn't see it or anything. The husband goes out fly fishing. The woman, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it because it's just like such a cool story. <laughs> but uh, the woman goes and gets all her gear. She goes downstream from her husband. And all of a sudden she's screaming because she catches this huge fish. And her husband like looks over and then he's like, oh my God. And he's like running over to her. And realizing it's his wife in fly fishing gear, fly fly fishing, and she's caught this big fish, and he comes running over and like helps her, and he's just like trying to process what's happening, you know, right now. And um, they said that her, like that did more for their marriage and fit like than anything has ever done for their marriage. Of just the wife, because they had to kind of remove themselves from each other. Yeah but she wanted so badly to do this thing with him, but they just couldn't get on the same page. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that's a long time to like, you know, 50 years is a long time to just kind of butt heads about it. And then finally be like, you know what, I'm doing this on my own and I'm going to, I'm going to learn this. And um, I'm just like, I, I just feel like that's like a testament to like, there's obviously something with men and women or couples or people you're close to where you just sometimes have to remove yourself. And then I don't know, this I'm rambling, but that story sticks in my head every single no, time. I, think about this. I get that. I get that. And you know, some, sometimes I think like, like in my relationship now, obviously a lot of what I learned from trapping was from my husband, but there's also, I've gone to like camps and have asked other people and everything like that. And like in my relationship, I will tell you, I think part of the thing that like we butt heads about is that my husband wants me to be successful. Like he wants those things and, but he knows, okay, I do it this way for him to be successful. And if I'm not doing it this way, then I'm not going to be successful. So he's getting, you know what I mean? Like, he's like, no, 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 no. Because I will tell you when I first started trapping, like I needed setters and I couldn't, you know, I have little hands. Like we've talked about this before yes. and yes. like for him, it was just like, Linda, just, just put that in the ground, just set the trap, just do this. And I'm like, I can't do that. And that was like for the longest time, like part of our biggest fights and it took him and I'm, and I'm going to give him like props here for a minute. And I don't, I don't do this very often. So hopefully he doesn't listen to this, but <laughs> It took him saying, hey, I need to step back and let her do it her way. And my husband doesn't normally say he's wrong. So that's where I'm giving him this props because it took him to say, hey, maybe what I'm doing is not the right way for her. Yeah. And and that took a lot. Like, I'm going to tell you, my husband is the most stubborn man in the whole wide world. There have been many, many times where he has kicked me out of lore shops and everything else because of his stubbornness. Uh, but, and I think that that's part of the whole couple dynamic, why, you know, women teaching women or men teaching men seems to be so much better. And like your, your counterparts just don't work because so many of us have that hard time stepping back and saying, okay, this is what I do to be successful, but maybe that's not what she needs or he needs because we're built differently and yeah. we look at things differently. So I think that that's super important to, to look at, like, you know, why a woman teaching a woman is better. And I, and I get that, like, even like whenever the trapping industry, like 
like I do a lot of women's things and people will say all the time to me, like, well, why can't, why can't they just join my group? Like, why do we need a special woman's trapping thing? Or why do we need, you know? And I think that what you just said about relationships, like that's important, even if they're not in a relationship, sometimes it's hard to, to see the other side of things. And I think like that's why. Yeah, I think sometimes you're just too close. You're like too close to it. Um, I I totally agree. And it's it's like one of those, you know, if your parents tell you something, you don't listen, but then someone else's parents tell you and you're like, okay. Yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you know that Bobby's dad is the smartest guy in the whole wide yeah. world? Like, wait a minute. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I um and we all do it. I think it's like everybody does that. Um, I don't think that's always specific to like women and men dynamic. Like you said, I think we just all kind of have to remove ourselves from someone we're so close to Mm -hmm. because there's just more emotion there and more sensitivity there. Um, and it's more personal. It feels personal, even if it's not, you know, right. Oh yeah. It always feels personal. (laughs) Yes. So so we try to keep these to roughly about an hour and, and we're definitely at that. And I know you and I could talk literally all day long. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to kind of end it here, but if anybody wanted to start following you, start seeing, you know, trying to get into maybe your next mastermind class, seeing what you're doing, how are they going to get a hold of you? How are they going to look you up? How will they find you? Yeah. I'm a little too Googleable, I think. <laughs> um, I'm not hard to find. Uh, <clears throat> but my name is Steph Lane and my website is woodsandwatersproject.com. I'm also the Iowa program coordinator for Pass It On Outdoor Mentors. So I coordinate um, a youth program to get kids out hunting and fishing in Iowa. So you can find me on outdoormentors.org. Uh, my information's on there. And then I'm on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Woods and Waters Project. Uh, if you look up Steph Lane on Instagram, I pop up pretty fast as well. Uh, but again, there's multiple ways to get a hold of me and it's, it's all out there. And I'm, you know, whether it's social media, email or whatever, I love hearing from people, questions, ideas. Um, yeah, yeah. Contact. We me. didn't even touch on the mentor program. Okay. Hold on. So we got to <laughs> touch on that really, really quick. I, you and I talk so many times about so many different things. I forget yeah. like sometimes what I tell people and, and what we're talking about. So let's, let's touch on that just really, really quick. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, yeah. So I, so pass it on outdoor mentors is a nonprofit, uh, based out of Kansas and Mike Christensen started the, uh, organization 21 years ago. Incredible, incredible man. Um, kind of a spinoff of Big Brothers, Big Sisters. He was with Big Brothers, Big Sisters. They didn't have a focus on the out, the outdoors. And so he kind of right. built that and it's turned into Pass It On Outdoor Mentors. They expanded out to Iowa a couple of years ago, hired me. I was actually helping at a women's event with the DNR. And I was working a corporate job, making really good money, good benefits, everything. And they're like, yeah, this organization's coming to Iowa and it's just going to be part-time. And you kind of have to like prove yourself um, I don't know how you're going to work that out with like your full-time job, but you should like consider applying. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then I quit my corporate job to do this. And it honestly all worked out and it was great. Uh, but I have the whole state of Iowa currently, 
And my job is to get youth, um, specifically shorting, shooting sport athletes out hunting and fishing. So I find mentors and landowners all over the state um, and plan these events for kids, which honestly all kind of helps with the things that I do with women and all of that. Um, because you don't even mean to, but you're impacting these kids, but you also impact the adults on a really big level too. Um, a lot of them come hunting with us and oftentimes the parents are brand new to hunting as well. So that's pretty special. Um, I've gotten to be a part of a lot of like first hunts with a, a kid and their parent. And that's like, that like fills my cup over and over and over again. Um, but we did, I, I coordinated, um, 126 hunts last year. We'll do over 200 hunts this year in 2023. Um, thanks to a lot of really amazing mentors and landowners and organizations like Pheasants Forever, for example, that volunteer their time um, and resources to take these kids out. So it's really cool to be a part of. I meet a lot of really awesome people in the state of Iowa um, and have gotten to help a lot of kids get their first turkey and first deer and first pheasant. And that's just like, I can't get enough of that. That's the best. Yeah. Oh. So just another example of why this woman is so amazing <laughs> and you need to follow her and check her out. And just anytime you ever need your cup filled up, you get on her page and just read some of the stuff she's doing. And it's just awesome. Oh, so thanks. You're yeah. Thank you. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, I'm sure this will not be the last time that we talk. Yeah, I, hope not. I, know. I hope not. So many amazing things going on. And I am so glad that sometimes I get to be a little part of it. So yeah, thank you, you for joining us. And I hope you have a great day, Steph. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of Women of the Wild podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you have any questions or would like to check out our website, it is www.womenofthewild.net. We post different events and everything that we've got going on. We would really like to also thank our sponsors, ACC Crappie Sticks, Girls with Guns, Southern Snare, Sawmill Creek Baits and Lures, RMC Custom Calls, Atlantic Coral Enterprise, Blast and Cast Guide Service, Epler Fur, Feather Moon Calls, Shangalaya Safari, Dr. Josh Farr Children's Books, and Shelly Emmer with Dirty Girl Guide Service. Thank you all and hope that you tune in in two weeks for our next episode.